secrets from a coach. Thrive and maximise your potential in the evolving workplace. Your weekly podcast with Debbie Green of Wishfish and Laura Thompson of Phenomenal Training. Debs. Laura, how you doing? I'm doing well. I went to the hairdressers. Tell me more, Laura. It looks lovely. Well, hmm, turns out I've not been looking after my hair very well. And it got me thinking because I do like a metaphor. So I've been drying and straightening my hair every single day from March 2020. And I think that was a symbolic act to myself to feel like I was remaining professional, even if I wasn't allowed to step outside the house. And I think it was my way of proving to myself You've got this, it's all okay, you've got to maintain these daily standards. The challenge of that is, is, is actually I've probably been straightening and been worse with my hair than I ever have previously. So actually, what the hairdresser was horrified when she looked at it and said, what have you been doing to your hair? And I said, I think it's because I'm getting old. And she said, mm, how often do you straighten your hair? And I said, on average, six times a week. And she looked oh. at me horrified. <laughs> and I sort of looked at her and said, well, you know, I always used to straighten my hair, but it was upon reflection, that kind of weird lock lockdown habit that I think kept me feeling okay at the time, there's a realisation that actually that can't continue. There needs to almost be a a stopping to then start a new habit. So, you know, because if you're sitting there on a virtual call, does it really matter if the back of your hair is straight or not? So it really got me thinking about there needed to be a boundary, a line put in the sand of that might have worked there, but actually that might not be a particularly useful professional habit moving forward because you might straighten your hair and you look all right virtually, but it's falling out in clumps because you're not looking after it. So hence the topic of our conversation this week is about being assertive with your boundaries. So in your experience as a coach, Debs, how easy is it for people to assert boundaries? Oh, yeah, Laura, that's such a good question. Um, and again, it's very individual with people, but you find that um, people do struggle to assert their boundaries, especially if they're what we call people pleasers or they want to be doing the right thing all the time and be feel like they really belong and having to make tough decisions. And some of the things I always get asked is, I find it really difficult to say no. And it's that bit that says, well, what stops you? So when you explore with the individuals, maybe what stops them, it's this feeling of, um, you know, they just want to be part of something. They want to be liked. They don't want to be seen to be uh, you know, obstructive in anything. Uh, and they want to make sure that there is this, you know, they're not upsetting other people as well. So, you know, we work a lot around setting those boundaries because, you know, it's a bit like, you know, fences, you've got a fence in your garden, that stops people coming in, right? So it's the same sort of principle um, around you control who, you know, if you enters the space that you're in, but also enables you to put up those fences or those boundaries that enable you to keep true to yourself as well and be mutually respectful in the relationships that you build. I mean, actually, that's a lovely phrase, that fence, because it's not a wall, is it? So it's not stopping people from being able to chat over the fence or kind of feel like you're part of a community. So it's not walls, but it's that fence, I guess, so you can discern who comes in, what do I allow to filter in? So we've still got this kind of open space and this sense of freedom and community, but we've just got our kind of, you know, we're able to look after ourselves and maintain those boundaries. Um, So in your experience, um, you know, how relevant is this, particularly in the pandemic, in terms of these boundaries and boundary management? 
yeah, really, really important right now because, you know, we're, you know, some of us are starting to return to work. I was speaking to some people earlier and again, they're starting to come into their offices and, and they are having to think about, you know, where can I go? Who do I speak to? Where do I sit? You know, who's been in that place before me? So it, it's really important for them to feel safe and secure in that knowledge that, you know, they are um, working within the parameters that they feel comfortable with um, so that they can keep doing what they want to do. So I think it's that bit about setting those personal boundaries as well for them and making sure they're keeping aligned to them as well. Mm. I mean, we've um, had some interesting conversations with clients who have got teenage children, for example, and this isn't just the world of work, is it, where you get a job and then you've suddenly got to start thinking about boundaries. What's been really interesting in listening to people's experiences as being a parent of, let's say, for example, sort of 13 and 14-year-olds, of back to school and how new new boundaries need to be set because otherwise it just wasn't a particularly pleasant environment to be in. And actually, um, people assuming, well, we don't need to set boundaries because we're friends, but it might turn out that your version of friendship is a bit different from mine. So I think what's fascinating is how right from the get-go, in terms of working out how we interact with each other, whether it's paid employment or whether it's a personal situation, actually this this being able to define, well, where am I in relation to you, especially for any kind of fellow people pleasers out there, yes, it can be invigorating to get lost in service. Um, but what happens if I lose myself in that? At what point are my needs? What do they? Where do they play out in terms of making sure I'm meeting the needs of people around me? Because you want to be, you know, a good person that contributes. Yeah, and I think that's the bit to make sure that you've got those boundaries in place so that you're understanding your needs, as you said, Laura. I think that's really important because then if if you don't and you're always saying yes or you're not, you know, if you like pushing back when you need to or feeling safe to say no, for instance, you know, that potentially can build up inside and internalise. And if you're not then comfortable to assert yourself, and say what you, you're thinking, how you're really feeling and, and stick within your needs and wants, then, you know, that anger or that tension or that dread of speaking to that person, um, you can manifest itself in, you know, not being well um, and impacts on your own well-being. And what I find supremely satisfying is, is and a privilege is to be able to help teams achieve that moment of how do we now reset some ground rules, some boundaries, so that we can enjoy and we and working together is the way to enable progress, not in the way to enable progress. I think it was the Ringelman effect, and this is well over 100 years old, this theory, which looks at the dark side of teamwork. Basically, the larger the team the easier it is to shirk your responsibility. I think this is used a lot in sports psychology um, about basically lifting your fair share of the weight. So it's a, a nice kind of image in mind of imagine two weightlifters and individually each weightlifter can lift 100 and you would assume that when those two weightlifters are together they could collectively lift 200. But actually what happens is once a human realises I'm not essential for this, I'm participating, but I'm not holding it, we actually then have a natural inclination to kind of lean back a little bit and not take full responsibility because it's a way to conserve our energy, basically, because we're very smart at working out when we can conserve energy. The downside of that is, is without coaching or being aware of that, you've got two people who should be able to lift 200 that actually only together collectively lift 180. So they each kind of lift 90. So the Ringelman effect is about, well, if each of us 
feels like we are responsible for 51% of it, linking on to the point you made uh, the other podcast about the quality of conversation, then you've got a team who is looking after that boundary line. Because if no one is looking after that fence, then it can then go into kind of rack and ruin. So I think what's interesting in that the larger teams... This is a pivotal time, really, because if half the team are totally on board and raring to go, but the other half are a bit reticent, a bit reluctant, well, the team isn't all together. They're not on the same page. And potentially, these little mini splinters could be huge divides as time progresses. So now's the time to get teams really aware of their boundaries, how they interact with each other. Yeah, I think that's really important. And and I think also not just the larger teams, but bringing it into the smaller teams as well. And I think that's where respect comes into it, actually. I think, you know, if I respect myself and I respect you, so it's an I plus, you plus relationship, then there is a mutual understanding. There is a collaboration. There's a, like a freedom to explore, celebrate success together. So you definitely feel as one with that. But if it if it tips the other side, so it becomes I respect myself, I plus, but I don't respect you, Law, I minus. Then that's that's a recipe for me stepping all over you and you know not believing in you or feeling that you can contribute to my world. And and that's that's the JFDI style of management as we used to. Call call it in the old days. So, you know, we don't want to go there. But also, I don't want to be in that position where maybe I don't respect myself, but I do respect you. So, you know, I become more subservient or I don't speak up because for fear of whatever it might be. So I think, you know, if we can work within that, I respect myself and I respect you, then that's where the mutually beneficial, respectful relationships come from which enable you to step in and have more assertive conversations because you're both coming at it from a position of wanting to win in inverted commas, but have the best output from that from that interaction that you might be having. I mean, and, and Debs, you know, I'm thinking sort of philosophically, it's kind of your place in the world and what you've, you know, you're, you're standing in the world over the next couple of years, months, decades, etc. And also very tactically, Um, how you might negotiate scheduling requirements and diary requirements. I imagine there's going to be a lot of people having to think about, "Mm, everyone's asked me to go on holiday (laughs) over these last months. There aren't enough weekends in summer to honour all of those verbal commitments about going on holiday. Now, how do we handle that? Do you just find yourself frazzled trying to keep up with all of these kind of um, conversations that you've had, which might have absolutely been how you felt at the time? But I think one of the rules of assertion that really worked for me, and there's a couple of, there's 10 of them in total, so we can whiz sort of through them. But one of them was it's, it's our right to be able to change our mind. And what you might have agreed to six months ago actually might now not fit your what's needed now to then progress forward. And part of that I respect, you respect is um, what are my decisions that are going to work well for me? And how, how do I ensure the way in which we communicate that is done from a position of respect and trust? So um, we're worth thinking about how we spend our time. And I think even from looking at holidays and how we're going to honour all of these commitments, I think it's going to be interesting to see that because certainly there are already some date clashes and then you have yes. to think, right, <laughs> we can't say yes to everyone all of the time yeah. because there's not enough time to be able to do yeah. that. Yeah, and then if that feeds into your, oh my God, I'm going to let everybody down, you know, then what happens? Do you hope 
um, that they cancel on you. So you didn't have to say, I, actually, I, I can't do that now because you. So, you know, and it's that ability, I think, to step in and just be, you know, assertive around your boundaries to go, I'd love to, I, you know, I'd really love to come away with you. I can't do it that weekend. I could do it this weekend. So it's how do you maybe offer an alternative um, without sort of, you know, trying to go, oh, I don't want to say to them, I can't come to them and can't go to them because they might not ever invite me back again. Mm, really? You know, so, so it's a really interesting dynamic, isn't it? And you yeah. know, how it's going to work. And I think that's the same with your diary management as well. You know, we were, I was doing a workshop earlier today um, and somebody is a PA to one of the man, you know, managing directors and, and they very much manage the, their boss's diary so that she builds in time for her boss to take time. Yeah, and she's very protective over that. But they've agreed those boundaries, um, unless obviously the building's burning, then, you know, that's a slightly different thing. But I think that's that bit that says, yeah, okay, I'm going to protect that space for me. So, yeah, it's ability to say no, but, you know, I prefer it, you know, to, you know, that we didn't do it that weekend, but I can do it this weekend if you want to offer an alternative. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Yeah, but they sound so simple when you hear someone else say it. It's when you're caught up in that dilemma that it just feels all-consuming, doesn't it? You know, and you're kind of stuck in the middle of it. And um, uh, I was just scanning through the 10 laws of assertion and beforehand, and the ones that really um, stuck out for me was about how... um, asking for thinking over time. So if someone asks you a question, you don't have to, the the the, 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 um, the urge might be to immediately give an answer back, but actually it is an act of assertion to say, can I have some time to think it over and I'll let you know by a certain time. So you're not rushed into a decision that actually upon reflection might not be the right one. No feeling is final and how you feel about something on a Monday might be very different by the time you've kind of made it through to the Friday. And um, the key one for me that I just think is so empowering is I have the right to change my mind if I choose. So just reiterating from before about how there might have been some suggestions or ideas that you had back in mid-March but life just feels very different already one month on now we've all started to unlock a little bit also the third one I just wanted to draw out was recognizing we are not responsible for the behavior of other adults yeah that's one of the gifts of being an adult (laughs) is you have the right to think what you want as do they (laughs) yes and I love that. I always call that, you know, when people start, you know, sharing that in maybe sessions around, yeah, but they think this and this is what they're doing and, and they're not going to cope with it well. And I go, right, hang on a minute. You know, that's their game, not yours. Now, you mentioned games. Surely fully grown adults don't play games with each other. Surely, <laughs> you know, in our professional world of work where we're paid to be professional and do what we need to do. Please tell me that we have evolved enough as humans that we don't play games as adults or am I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you could be wrong there, Law, big time. And that's that's when we get caught up in what we call the drama triangle, um, you know, around what's going on. And we get dragged what we call below the drama line, uh, where we get caught up in, you know, other people's maybe ego states or emotions or just the drama of everything. And we get dragged down with it. Um, and that then maybe enables us to think about, you know, what position do I play in creating the drama as well? 
you know, when we talk about, you know, it was Cartman's drama triangle that this first came from. And obviously it's been adapted over time um, into the world of work. And it works just as beautifully for, you know, whether we're at work or whether we're at home and that we get involved in the drama of something. And he talks about, you know, there's three positions that we can take, which is the persecutor position where you can get angry and aggressive and very judgmental about other people. Um, so actually you're discounting other people's values and integrity, which isn't a great place to be. Or you can be the rescuer where you're overhelpful and you're self-sacrificing and you need to be needed. And that's that bit potentially where you discount others' ability to think for themselves. And the third position he talks about is the victim, where downtrodden, helpless, we complain of our needs not being met. And that's the bit because we discount ourselves as well. And we we have a what I call, when we get to the drama line, we all come in a particular position on the drama triangle, but we can quite easily go to any one of those three positions. Uh, and it's just recognising it because we get pulled into the drama without maybe recognising it quick enough. But as soon as we do, I always encourage people to get back out of it, you know, and move more across into what we call the winner's triangle, uh, you know, rather than be the persecutor, be assertive, you know, know what's important to you. Um, and then that instead of rescuing everybody where you're discounting their ability to think for themselves, you know, I remember, you know, that's my go-to and I would always rescue. But this minute I read that, I went, oh, that's not what I want to do. People can think for themselves. So I moved, if you like, to that more nurture position, which was, you know, accept the other's ability. can They can think for themselves and that's okay. Um, which then means there has to be a level of vulnerability that goes with it where you accept yourself and you're quite happy to share your feelings to a point as to how you feel about something because no one can take away how you feel, right? So it's just moving that, I suppose, the drama triangle into more of a winner's triangle approach that can also help. And the key one there is about assertiveness. Um, you know, as I say, knowing what you want, understanding what's important to you and being able to have those great conversations that enable you to to be true to you as well but you know not upset everybody else at the same time but holding as you say those you know being adult in that and not creating the drama around it I mean you, you described it so well and it sounds so um common sense when you kind of hear it what I think is the most remarkable bit is often we don't know we're in a game until someone calls it out or we recognize it and just always the be in the back of my mind is um you know if someone is saying all oh, the last eight bosses I had were a total nightmare and they bullied me well you then have to think that's quite that goes against the law of averages that the last eight managers you've had have bullied you could it be that at some point there is a contributing part? So it's not denying that bullying has taken place at all, but it's when it happens more than potentially you would expect. Could it be there's a pattern that is then emerging and then being able to recognise that pattern and then decide to do something about it? I think what's also interesting, whenever I've kind of showed teams the Cartman drama triangles, you can see this happening between teams. So if one part of the business is shouting orders at the other part of the business and then another team has to come in and kind of do their work for them, then you can then see even at an organisational level just how this can turn into patterns where people are unaware that actually they're playing into a game rather than each individual conversation being a fresh one. The other thing I think is interesting as well is it could be the same person who's playing a couple of roles. So you could have 
a team leader or someone in a team who on the one hand shouts at everyone and makes them feel like they're being persecuted and then at the next team meeting has been all kind of, you know, rescuing about it, which then sends mixed messages. And of course, the challenge then is it loses trust because my ability to predict your behaviour is now deteriorated. And if we are unable to predict someone's behaviour because they're so moody, that then also impacts people's ability to be feel open and safe because the boundary line changes every day. So I think linking back to the topic, being clear on those boundaries and where they sit means that we don't then play games with each other and then waste a whole load of emotional energy and people feel comfortable about kind of, where's my line? Where's yours? Well, let's just crack on and enjoy the garden yeah. <laughs> without spending yeah. a whole lifetime living next to each other, worrying about whether the fence yeah. is, you know, one centimetre over or not. Yeah, definitely. And it, and again, it can be a blind spot to people as well. So, you know, we have to sort of help people maybe see that side of what's going on for them. And, you know, not everybody's willing, you know, to, to want that. But I think if you set your, if you like, your healthy boundaries as to how you're going to, you know, maybe work with other people, um, you know, because it's, it is about being assertive, but not aggressive. Um, but it's that being about making sure you are not just considering yourself, but maybe you are considering the people around you and agreeing what those boundaries could look like so that, you know, you work really well together. And it's about, um, you know, being, I suppose, respectful, polite, and, you know, firm and fair, but not aggressive or, you know, in your face and demanding, I suppose, which, you know, sometimes you do see. Mm. I like to imagine um, assertiveness is like a seesaw. So it's kind of balancing your needs, my needs. And, um, you know, it's not one person dominating it, which then means the other one is left a little bit stranded kind of up in the air. So that's always been the visual at the back of my mind. And that's then helped me step into conversations where there might not be the most comfortable ones. Every part of me is saying, just pretend it's not a problem and I'm sure it will sort itself out. And some of these things don't sort itself out. One thing I would say there's a call to action is, there's never a better time to put in some change than when there's lots of change going on. So if actually listening to this, you're thinking mm, there are a couple of things that are a little bit uncertain, I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out. This is now the time to lean in. This is the perfect excuse to lean into those um, boundary management because it's a lot easier to do it now than after the horse has bolted and we're kind of all out and then it's even more kind of messy. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that. If you set the expectations and you have the right intent... That can only help. So as you said, sometimes we, we do get given a gift, if you like, an opportunity to draw a line in the sand and recontract, re-establish. How are we going to work now? Especially if there might be a hybrid mix of people coming back in, into the workplace as well. I think it's really even more important to create that those boundaries so people know where they are, um, you know, rather than make it up. You know, you know, as well as I do, Law, we've talked about this before. You know, in the absence of having any clarity, we just make it up anyway. So why not help give that clarity, those boundaries, so that people know what's expected of them in that moment and, if you like, know the rules of engagement, for want of a better word. Yeah, yeah, spot on. Um, so if there were going to be a call to action, what would your action be for this week then? So if this is about assertive boundary management. So there was we with my hair, the realisation of, gosh, if I don't change, then my hair is going to actually be impacted. So it was an end of no more of that, cut it off, start again, fresh boundary. So um, what would your advice be, whether it's hair or whether it's how we all don't get into each other's hair, you know, as we're kind of all working in different ways, etc. What would your call to action be this week? Yeah, so my call to action is, I think, around the use of positive affirmation. 
I think you know, if we're going to be assertive over our boundaries, I would do it around you know being able to um, articulate your specific needs. So saying things like you know to yourself, I have the right to ask for something, you know, because I need something in, in that. So being able to ask for that. You know, and it's okay to protect my time by putting some boundaries in my calendar and blocking some time out because I need that time to reflect and um, focus on maybe what's coming up. And I think, yeah, I, I won't, I will not allow others to sort of take advantage of me because actually I'm worth it as well. And I think they're just those positive affirmations that say, you know, I have a right to, it's okay to protect my time and I won't allow others to encroach on my boundaries because I'm just as valuable as the next person. Oh, I love it. And this is for the good of others, because if you are so frazzled that you're unable to even maintain your space well, then it's that's also going to encroach because that will spill out as your own kind of stress that sort of stresses everyone else out as well. So it is good practice for, it's, it's that duty of care to others to to look after your own sort of boundaries. And I think as um, uh, someone mentioned to us, the, 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 um, the urge you have when you're skiing and you want to slow down is is the urge is then is to lean back but actually that's the worst thing to do if you want to change the energy of when you're skiing you want to slow down the the thing to do is to lean in to lean into it because then you've got more control over your next direction so the urge might be oh no I'll let it lie and I'll deal with it after we've been back for 3 months but actually countering that and the the um, and challenging that impulse to sort of not deal with it but to lean in and deal with it and then you're able to be empowered and shift and influence the direction moving forward because we won't get a second chance to have a good first return this is the time in our life to be really clear on how we're going to return well so we're able to role model to future generations Mm. as well because everyone's watching everyone because we're all trying to work out what to do yeah that's a good point and I think yeah just being being clear on on that and um you know making maybe taking some time to think about what are my boundaries in the first place and maybe adjusting one at a time, not trying to adjust all of them, but maybe just taking one that, you know, is, if you like, the easiest of all of them to do so that you get confident with changing and adapting and letting other people know that, you know, it might have been all right, to, you know, a year and a half ago, but actually now this is my preference for working together. Um, and, you know, the language we use as well will be really important. So, yeah, maybe that's it, Law. Take some time to think about what are your boundaries now? And, and what does that mean in terms of um, protecting those and being assertive around them? And in terms of share the secret, think of someone else in your life for whom you know they find this type of stuff a bit of a challenge. Share this podcast with them. Um, get some feedback from them in terms of what has worked. You'll feel great as well, knowing that you've helped positively influence. And I think to take some comfort that this type of stuff doesn't come easy to many, many people. So you're not alone. But potentially what this whole disruptive period has given us is an opportunity to reset some boundaries that might have needed to have been dealt with in the first place. So this might have been procrastinating on a conversation that maybe should have happened X amount of years ago. But this is now the opportunity to do it. So share the secret. Think of someone with whom you, whom you think this will this will um inspire them to take some assertive confident steps let us know how they get on at secrets from a coach at aol.com we love hearing stories it always inspires us as well um so yeah see you at the next one see you at the next one Lord. look after your hair too i will i'm gonna naturally air dry that is the <laughs> hashtag of the week love you lots Deb. love you law bye, bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'd love to hear from you. 
drop us an email on secretsfromacoach at aol.com or follow us on Instagram at secretsfromacoach.com.